Greetings, comrades, and welcome back to another episode of the Comrade Cast. And sorry about not coming to you guys last weekend, late this week. Last week, I was just busy with the whole Workers and Resources Soviet Republic guide. That took a lot out of me, and I was just like, I can't. I don't have anything left in the tank for a show. And this week, unfortunately, I don't know if you guys can tell, but once again, I am feeling a little bit sick. Definitely not sick enough to delay the show. I was worried I was going to have to this week, but I'm feeling a bit better today, but still a bit congested, so I apologize for that. But today should be a good episode. I really hope that you guys are going to learn a lot today, because we're going to be talking exclusively about the border crisis in Texas right now. And in the immortal words of Ali G, we're going to figure out if it's good or if it's whack. But I'm sure if you, spoiler alert, know my perspective, you can figure out where I'm going to come down on this issue. But that being said, there's so much disinformation out there and not just disinformation. There's also like missing information. There's information that we don't know, that we don't have a clear picture on. So a lot of people are making assumptions and filling in gaps. And I'm going to do my best to show you guys at the very least where there are these gaps and where people are filling them in. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. And I bring you the lovely looking city of Eagles Pass, Texas. And I actually do mean that with all sincerity. I've been clicking around this area a little bit in preparation for the show. And it seems like quite a lovely little American town. In case you don't know, this little piece of America has become the center of quite a controversy in the recent weeks. And over the last couple of years, this is something that has been brewing, which is the kind of standoff between the Texas state government and the federal government on the state of immigration into the United States over the last two or three years or so. Let me give you guys a little bit of a cliff note kind of summarization of what's going on here. And the main crux of what has happened and what is happening here began in 2021 when Republican Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, of course, decided that he was going to initiate this operation. He called it Operation Lone Star, which was this uh, new kind of push to have a sort of Texas state militia, National Guard assist the United States uh, federal border agents in enforcing and maintaining border security. So over the last few years, the sort of Texas National Guard or Texas state militia, whatever you want to call it, the Texas state government officials have been increasing their presence along the border. And more and more of them over the last couple of years have been deployed to the border alongside American federal border agents. And over the past couple of years, this situation continued on as is until where we are right now, where things have started to fall apart because now we have a question in jurisdiction and a question of where the power lies. Because now there has been a clash in jurisdiction and authority between the federal border agents and these Texas state officials. So what is the incident which caused this clash in jurisdiction, this clash of power? Well, what has been happening is that over time, the Texas state government has started to use razor wire along the borders of Texas and Mexico, and particularly high trafficked portions of those borders, razor wire or barbed wire. As I'm sure you guys probably know, is that kind of nasty looking stuff um, that has lots of barbs jutting out of uh, the various wires that if you try and grab it or try and climb over it, 
they're going to cut into your skin and get stuck and uh, cause a shit ton of damage. Not a good time for you if you end up getting caught in some razor wire or some barbed wire. But this isn't necessarily what the entire Flashpoint is about. And I've seen a lot of people on both the left and the right kind of misinterpret that. It's just about the razor wire itself and whether or not Texas has the right to deploy it along the border. And that so much isn't a question because as much as I think it has definitely dubious ethical implications, the deployment of barbed wire in certain ways, and we're definitely going to delve into that, it's not the deployment of the razor wire itself that is in question. What happened was, is that there was an incident last month, beginning of the year, where there was a discovery of a Mexican mother and her two children, I believe they were age 10 and 8, which had drowned in the Rio Grande River, which is, of course, this river right here. And just so I can zoom out for you guys to show exactly where we are. Um, anyway, zooming back in here, right around here is where we had this serious incident where this mother and her two kids were found drowned. And obviously, this is a terrible tragedy. And the thing is that we haven't had a lot of information as to exactly how they drowned. The obvious implication is that they got tangled up in some razor wire and couldn't escape and drowned to death. In any case, federal border agents get a call about this family who is either dead or in the process of drowning. The border agents come and they try and come to the scene and they are denied access by the Texas border agents. The Texas border agents say that these people are already dead. And this is an area of contention right now as to whether or not these people were actively drowning and the Texas border officials just stood by and let them drown or that when they got there, they were already dead. Because obviously, if they just stood there and let them drown, it's a horrible crime, right? Here's the thing. When you're a first responder, doesn't matter what kind of person is in distress and you are responding to, you have to do your job and you have to respond to that emergency. If you're a paramedic, for example, you don't have the option to come into a scene and start figuring out whether or not these people are criminals or if they've done something bad, you're just there to effectively save somebody's life. But I think we all understand that is obviously a moral blight to sit there and watch somebody suffer and die. I think we can all get on that. And this is the reason why that the Texas border officials have said, no, that's not what's happened. They were already dead when we got there. In any case, the federal agents, the federal border agents, wanted to remove some of this wire. And that's another thing that um, has been in contention. Some people have said they wanted to remove all of it. That's not what happened, right? They wanted to remove some of it. So effectively that they could create a safe area that they can get into avenues where if somebody was drowning or somebody's needs to be rescued or somebody's in distress, they can get in there. So they were trying to cut paths in between some of this razor wire. They were denied this, of course, by the Texas officials. This went to the Supreme Court. The Biden administration brought it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court actually, in some miracle, decided to side with the Biden government. To me, this shouldn't be any kind of question. 
despite the fact that the states have large jurisdiction within the United States to govern themselves and pass their own laws, one of the few things that is very clearly within federal jurisdiction is immigration, is citizenship. States don't get to decide their own immigration policy. States don't get to decide their own border policy. This is something firmly in the purview of the federal government. And in order to get around this, Texas has used a whole bunch of like weird legal language loopholes and other types of things to try and justify what they're doing. But that being said, it, it, it's very clearly immigration that is very, very clearly a federal jurisdiction, not just within the United States, but pretty much every country in existence. So I just want to show you guys something before we move on to the next point here. I can put us here at the corner of Ford and Ryan Street. And as you can see, if we zoom in here, we can see the border. There's the Rio Grande, there's Mexico. Obviously there's the bridge and this is the American side right here. But if you guys look closely as we zoom in, or well, I guess we're zoomed in as much as we can. But if you guys can see very closely, you can see the razor wire that's actually there right now. When was this picture taken? Does it say June, 2023? Okay. so. Six months ago, this picture was taken and you can see the razor wire is in place. And I want to talk about, obviously, I think that there are certain ethical implications when it comes to using implements like this along the border. The thing is like when we're actually talking about this, like if I were to talk about this with a, a right-wing person, those kind of considerations would fall on deaf ears. They are more concerned with the legal implications. Like one of the things that I've heard people on the right say in defense of these kind of actions is that, well, it's like defending your own home, right? If you have, if this were your own home, you could put up these kind of security measures to defend yourself. Yes, obviously, and of course, this depends on state to state that you have pretty broad abilities to defend yourself with whatever implements you have on hand. However, there is something which when it comes to self-defense that I believe all states, I'm not going to say for definite, all states have this, but virtually all states have a area where you are crossing the line when it comes to your own self-defense. And I think that when it comes to this incident right here, it's pretty clear that they're crossing the line. And this is one of the things that I've been trying to find definite information of is whether or not there wasn't just razor wire in this visible sort of line that we can see, but was there razor wire underneath the water in the river? Because in that case, that's a whole different bag of worms. That's a whole different world of ethical and legal considerations. And I'll tell you exactly why. So to do this, I'm going to draw a diagram for you guys. So uh, let's say here is our border fence. Okay, there's the river right here. <laughs> Here's our very rudimentary border crossing area. Let's draw in our razor wire here. Effectively, I was thinking about this. There's three levels of where you can put these wires and they get progressively more severe. Let's start off with the one that's most obvious on top, right? Having it on top of the fence is but sus, but I think most people are going to be like, okay, whatever. That's not a big deal. When I see something like that, I think, well, what is your country? Is this a prison or is this a country, right? 
but at the same time, not really that controversial. Then level two would be what we see here. For example, we don't even have a real, we don't even have like a, a fence here. We have this kind of whatever these iron gratings here, but we don't have like an actual concrete fence here, but level two would be what we have and what we can see here, which is something on the ground and visible to everybody, right? You can see it. And even though it's very easily accessible to you, you can very easily get caught up in this. You can still see it. It's still very visible to you. You can see it coming a mile away. And to me, when I see this, I think, okay, is your country, now it's not a prison. Now is this like a World War I fucking trench complex? Like this is where you're starting to get, okay, you guys are getting into a little bit of a crazy town here. But level three is where you get into outright psychopathy. And level three is a hidden implement, for example, underneath the water where it is invisible. And that is illegal, right? Under any circumstances, some sort of hidden object or, or some sort of hidden implement or hidden trap to get people. Because one of the things about security that people don't understand is that they equate security with hurting people. That's not what security is. Security is to deter people from hurting you. And you don't need to hurt other people to do this. For example, while I may not think that uh, having razor wire visibly is the most ethical decision, it is certainly more ethical than hiding it because at the very least, you can argue that this is a security measure. They can see it. They um, know what's in store for them if they come across type of thing. Whereas if you're hiding it, it just seems vindictive. It's just like, a, I'm out to get you. I'm out to hurt people type of move. And there's a very clear reason why this kind of stuff is illegal, even on your own property. So let's say that instead of uh, on my own house, in order to deter intruders, I want to dig a hidden trap with spikes in it or something like that. I have all these kind of trap doors that people couldn't notice it unless they walked over it and they'd fall in and they'd fall into my spike pit versus let's say I just wanted to erect spikes all over my property um, that are clearly visible uh, to everybody that they can see where the spikes are. Um, there's no mystery to them where they'll get injured if they approach, right? If people look at my visible stake all over my house, they might think, oh, this guy's fucking nuts. He's not doing anything illegal, right? Because again, people can see what they're in store for. But with my hidden spike pits, now I am doing something illegal because this is a clear violation of public safety, even though it's a private space and a private property. Let me give you some potential examples, right? Let's say that one thing we need to consider is that not every trespasser is nefarious. Let's say little Timmy throws his Frisbee and it gets caught in my yard. And little Timmy, being a shy little boy, decides he's just going to jump into my backyard, grab the Frisbee and get away. And then he jumps into my backyard and all of a sudden, wham, he's jumped into the spike pit by accident and died. That's on me at that point. That death is on me. Even though he was trespassing technically on my house, he wouldn't have died if I had put my security measures in a place that were visible. And that's another thing to remember. In order to get that actual deterrent factor 
you need to have your security implements, your security measures visible to intruders. Because if they're not visible, then they have no idea, right? They're not actually doing their job of deterring people. Whereas, for example, I have my visible spikes all over my yard. Little Timmy knows to A, where he's got to go to avoid them. Or B, hopefully, to knock on my door and understand that it's better just to knock on my door and ask me to get the fridge before him rather than try and brave the spike pit. It's going to be less of a detriment to him just to ask rather than to try and overcome the visible security measures. But what if it's not little Timmy? Let's say another example that the police are chasing a fugitive and you've seen this all the time, right? Fugitives will run through residential areas. They'll try and hide in residential areas, try and hide in backyards. So we have one of these chases happening and a fugitive runs into my backyard and he gets lucky and manages to avoid the spike pits and keeps on going. Police following him, they get unlucky and one of them or a few of them fall into the spike pits and they die. And guess what? Those police deaths, they're on you, 100% they're on you versus if, again, my security measures are visible, the fugitive can either, will probably either look at my backyard and be like, fuck this, I'm going to go find another backyard. If he does end up deciding to go in, at least the police who are following him will be able to navigate around the same security implements that he can. So having hidden traps and hidden dangers like this is still 100% illegal, no matter how much of a protect my castle kind of guy you are, I think you have to understand that these kind of sort of security measures are not only ineffective because again, they don't actually have that deterrence factor because people can't see them and they have serious public safety risks, even though they are still on a private property. So no, absolutely. Texas is not justified in if it has razor wire, at least underneath the surface of the water hidden that is absolutely not justified this is fine this is fine like legally fine right ethically fine is a different consideration and this is both obviously ethically not good and illegal so anyway i really wanted to hammer home this point so people understand like why it would be so bad to have razor wire underneath the water and it seems like that's what they had because that's how people drowned, right? They probably couldn't see this wire. It was obscured by the water. They ended up getting caught in it, and that was it. So one of the things, especially with this episode, and I like to try and do on the show, is try and pull out the layers for you guys and bring out the nuance and try and give you guys as many facts and information that are indisputable as I can. You guys obviously know where my political biases lie, but one of the things that has been really frustrating me, particularly about this uh, conversation, is people on all sides of the political spectrum not getting facts right and or outright misrepresenting things. And for someone who obviously is a left-wing guy, I wouldn't consider myself moderate on immigration, but more pragmatic as a person who's more internationally focused I think the ideal for us is to have some sort of international, one world, no borders government. But like I said, I like to think of myself as a practical socialist at the very least. And I understand that we as humans just, we're not at that point. People won't accept like people in China having a say in how people live over in North America, right? That we're just not 
at that point yet. And we won't be at that point until we have some sort of real revolution in terms of transportation, until I can take a weekend trip to Beijing on my aircraft that skims the surface of the atmosphere or whatever, until I can take my weekend trip to Beijing, there's no way that people will be able to accept a one world government or some sort of real international government that has actual enforcement capabilities, right? Not just like an international organization that is, yay, we're all happy together on paper, but when rubber meets the road, can't actually do anything. In the meantime, I advocate for a more humanitarian outlook for our immigration systems rather than a more economically focused and number crunching outlook for our immigration. But yeah, I in no means want or expect open borders or push for open borders or anything like that, at least not in this point in time. Again, we would need to get to a, I think, a more evolved state in our dealings with one another to really be able to get to that point. Maybe my kids, but not me, unfortunately. Anyway, I want to wrap up this show by talking a little bit about what it is that old Greg, old Greggy boy, this has been using to justify the kind of measures he has been using at the border and of course freezing out federal agents so much so that even a conservative leaning supreme court understands that this is unacceptable even though we may disagree on certain points of immigration policy you can't have states deciding immigration policy on their own and you can't have states freezing out federal immigration agents. But the reason we are here now and the reason Greggy Boy has justified a lot of his actions is because we're having an invasion, don't you know, guys? It's an invasion. All of these illegal immigrants, they're invading us, and we need to do this for our own self-defense and the def national defense of Texas from, from the invasion. This is one of those times that it's like, how do people take that kind of rhetoric seriously? Because, you know, of all, all the famous unarmed invasions throughout history, they just roll off the tongue, right? Well, it is true that illegal border crossings are at a record high, and we're going to be breaking down those statistics. That, that doesn't mean it's an invasion. That's ridiculous. That's absolute insane hyperbole. And most normie people... When they hear that, when they see that, they're like, come on, dude, that's ridiculous. But the thing is, for Republicans, that kind of rhetoric really gets them fired up. And here's the thing, right? These kind of politically hyperbolic statements are certainly on both the left and the right. One of the ideas I had for this episode was obviously we had Israel going to the International Criminal Court, and they just decided that South Africa has standing to bring their genocide claim forward. Well, they didn't rule on it or anything like that. They just made it clear that, yes, this case does have standing to go forward. It's just not going to be thrown out immediately. So I was going to do like a whole episode about what exactly constitutes a genocide. What does a genocide mean? What does this term actually entail? Because there are a lot of things, both in kind of like a legal sense and an academic sense, or if you want to say, that could constitute a genocide. But one of the things that is very clearly part of the definition of a genocide is a concerted attempt 
to erase a cultural identity by any means necessary. And that is not something that necessarily denotes violence. It doesn't have to be violence. Although in many cases, it certainly does devolve into violence. It doesn't necessarily have to be. And from the academic definition of genocide, you will hear things like left-wing people talk about a trans genocide and things like that. And academically, in certain places, there's absolutely no question that a trans genocide is happening. But if you say something like the trans genocide is happening everywhere all the time, people are going to check out, like normal people are going to check out. Because for them, when they hear the word genocide, they think the Holocaust. They think people being loaded into trains and being dragged into gas chambers and being killed. This is what the normal person's definition of genocide is in their head. This is what they think. And they can look at what's happening and saying, this is not what's happening. This is not a genocide. You people are weird, crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. And thankfully for us, this is happening on the right because when people bring up this idea of illegal immigration being an invasion, most normal people check out because you can obviously see that this is not an invasion, right? Nobody has any weapons. No countries declared war on each other. No country has decided you have to go here and take this piece of land, right? People know that this is not an invasion and it sounds ridiculous. At least when it comes to talking about something like trans genocide, you can say that within certain parts of the United States and if certain people or groups had power federally, they would commit a trans genocide. Unfortunately, you know, that doesn't roll off the tongue as well and it's not quite as pithy as just saying that trans genocide is happening right now. But with the whole invasion claim, I don't think there's any way you could ever make this claim that what's happening is an invasion with a straight face. But anyway, that's Greg's justification for what's happening. He says they're being invaded by illegal immigrants, and that's why they need to put border wire in the river. So let's go into some actual stats here, because without question, there definitely is more border crossings happening now than in any point in U.S. history. Uh, so I've got a whole slew of stats here from a number of different sources ranging around different points of time. So this is from Statista. This is the number of illegal aliens apprehended in the United States from 1990 to 2021. So this is a little bit outdated, but one of the things you can see here is that in 2021, the numbers spiked at nearly two versus the before that 2000 was the largest year almost at at 2 million as well at 1.8 million. And then one of the things that you'll notice as we go through a lot of these various statistics is that in 2019 is when things really started to take off. Things were pretty stable during the mid 2000s to the 2010s. And then things shut down during the pandemic. And then once things got cleared up, they shot up again. And then moving on, there's another couple charts that I want to show you right here. This is the monthly U.S.-Mexico Border Patrol apprehensions by sector. And this is a little bit more broken down and not to mention more up to date because we have 2023 here as well and 2022. But as you can see, like I was saying, 2019, we have this really large spike where it looks like things are, are starting to pick up. And then the pandemic hits, things calm down. And then after the pandemic has been over, it's just been things have been going ham wild ever since. 
And before that, the only other time where things were really at this kind of level was back in the 2000s, like literal 2000s, like April 2000. And just so uh, you guys know, all these different little colors, these are the various sectors with which uh, people were apprehended along which uh, area they were apprehended from, which area of the United States. So now let's go directly to the U.S. government and look at some up-to-date statistics. This is Southwest Land Border Encounters. This is by Component, and this is actually a pretty nice graph because you can see like they break things down really well here. We can see where most of the border crossings are happening. As you can see, a lot of uh, the border crossings are happening in the Tucson region. And then right behind them, the Del Rio region, it looks like they're, yeah, right behind them. And this is really up to date, right? This is um, a year to date, uh, 2024. So this takes 2024 plus, I believe, the last three months of 2023. So this is directly from the government uh, as up to date statistics as we can get, right? Long story short, there are a lot of border crossings happening right now, and they predominantly happen in Arizona, in the Tucson region. But again, the Del Rio region is right behind them there. And then you also have over in the San Diego region. Yeah, Arizona gets hit really hard, harder than Texas. But that's not what I'm here to actually show you. The most interesting thing here to show you is the citizenship grouping which is that we can see that the other overtakes all of, whoops wow really i don't know why you did that yeah i don't know why it just crashed there u.s government you got to get your your websites figured out here but what i really want to draw your guys attention to is the country of origin of these immigrants unfortunately they don't break it down outside of these four countries right here mexico guatemala honduras and el salvador but other beats them all combined. I, I tried to get more information from the uh, U.S. government. I went to their data portal and pulled. They have every data point available, but they don't obviously give everybody what happened, right? All it says is eight adults, Tucson, country of origin, other, and they don't specify anything. Or it'd be like five adults, three children, Rio Grande, February 13th. 2020 or 2021, whatever, Mexican, even in their official actual like data output, they didn't have the country of origin. They only had either one of these four countries or other. I have found some other charts here. Like we have this one here. This one's in Spanish. And I don't know exactly when this data was from. I believe it's 2023. This is what it says up here and over here. But as you can see over the year, we where we are getting the vast majority of immigrants coming from, they are coming from Nicaragua, they're coming from Venezuela, they're coming from Haiti, they're all falling under other. And then the last one I want to draw your attention here is it says, yes, southern border apprehensions, apprehensions at an all-time high, but this one here has it broken down from Mexico, from other countries. One of the things that I find super interesting about what's happening right now and seems to get lost is that a lot of people still think it's just predominantly Mexican people coming over into the United States. Well, you can see, yes, there's still a pretty sizable amount of Mexican people coming over. It's not as high as it used to be, and it is completely and utterly dwarfed 
by people who are coming from other countries, which is a pretty new phenomenon in American history. As you can see going back, it has been almost exclusively immigration coming in from Mexico until after the recession into the 2010s. You can see things cooled down when Mexico's economy heated up a little bit. Things started improving over there. And at the same time, things started getting significantly worse in a lot of these other Latin American countries, leading them to try and come on over to the United States. So that's the big takeaway I want you guys to get with these graphs that I'm showing you is that, yes, illegal immigration is at, is at all-time highs right now, but these are people coming from all sorts of different countries. In fact, Mexico is not the predominant country that people are emigrating into the United States from anymore. And that is a fundamentally new state of affairs. One of the things that I think people just kind of like assume in their head, even though this is not the case at all, is that everybody from Latin America is all the same and they view each other all the same and they all get along and they're all just happy friends together. This is not the case whatsoever. Someone from Mexico is not the same as someone from Peru, who is not the same as someone from Nicaragua, who is not the same as someone from Argentina, who is not the same as someone from Cuba who's not the same as someone from Haiti. All of these countries have vastly different cultures, histories, and of course, they view each other differently. They don't always view each other the same, and they don't always view each other as friends. And that's one of the things I think that there's a real way that the United States can work with Mexico to alleviate this issue, because no longer are these immigrants coming from Mexico. They have to travel from other countries through Mexico to get to the United States, and Mexico itself isn't exactly enthusiastic about this situation. They're not enthusiastic about tens of thousands of people from other countries just traipsing through the roads and highways of Mexico. And one of the most unfortunate things a lot of people don't say is that Mexicans view a lot of people from other Central American and Latin American countries the same way as people from America would view Mexicans, right? They view them as the other, that they're not the same as us. We're a little bit above them, if you will. But more of these people are fleeing from systems in decay in their own country, right? They're fleeing from a system in decay in Venezuela. They're fleeing from, I'm actually not 100% sure what's going on in Nicaragua. I should do a little bit of research before I say anything. But it's obvious that something was happening there. The only thing I know is that they've got some guy. Is it is it Daniel Ortega? Yeah, it is. It is Daniel Ortega. Okay, good. I need to get it right. I, the only thing I know about Nicaragua is that this guy has basically been the president of it since <laughs> when? Okay, since 2007. And then previously he was the leader from, <laughs> from 1997 uh, to 1990. So obviously this guy's been around for a while. He's like super corrupt. He siphons off a lot of resources from the average Nicaraguan into uh, his own pockets. He's definitely one of those El Presidente types. Okay, I'm starting to get distracted, but I definitely should do some more uh, research on uh, the situation in Nicaragua. Anyway, the long and short of it is, is that there is an opportunity for the United States and Mexico to work together on this. Uh, like I said, I like to consider myself at least pragmatic on the issue of immigration and I don't really have an issue with having borders and securing those borders. 
I do have an issue with having surprise traps along those borders that people can kill themselves on. But again, I understand that you just unfortunately just can't let everybody in, right? That being said, though, it's important to remind ourselves that the overwhelming majority of the time when somebody immigrates from one country to another, they end up being an economic contributor, not an economic drain. And that very fact is one of the reasons that has helped propel the United States into the position of dominance that it's in right now. It's certainly important not to discount the power of immigration and economic power of immigration. But yeah, the system isn't designed to just let anyone and everybody in simultaneously. And, you know, I can understand and respect that. But to wrap this all up, my whole, is it good or is it whack statement? Obviously, what Texas is doing is whack, in my opinion. The reason is not only because immigration is very clearly of a federal jurisdiction, but this whole thing just smells of political theater, particularly on Texas and a little bit on the sort of presidential side, on Joe Biden's side, because we didn't even talk about it because it's something I personally don't take very seriously, is that Joe Biden brought a concession bill to the Republicans on the border issue, basically giving them everything they want, not giving immigrants any pathway to citizenship. And of course, the Republicans shot it down. People were saying this is like, oh, a 4D chess move for Biden to show that the Republicans are unreasonable. I don't think there needs to be any more demonstration of that. And if you are a person voting on immigration, there is nothing that I think that Biden could offer you to get you to vote for him over Donald Trump. It's a losing battle for Joe Biden to try and be hawkish on the border. Don't fight it, right? But that is part of the reason why I think Greg Abbott is making political hay out of this issue. Again, it's not to do with defending Texas or making sure Texas is better or anything like that. It is to try and take the issue of illegal immigration and put it on the center stage, put it on the forefront, because it's an issue, generally speaking, that the net average people trust Republicans more than Democrats. So if they can get people talking about it more, it increases their political chances. And that's really what I think is happening here. Republicans are trying to push illegal immigration as a top election issue going into an election year. And this is one of the things that they're using to do it. I just find this is like such a weird hill to die on, right? The trying to die on this hill of preventing border agents from removing razor wire so they can safely get to a scene where someone might be in distress. It's just a weird battle to choose to fight, weird hill to die on. Because I can't see where you come out looking good on this unless you're already into the Republican mentality. Because again, like we talked about, you have no legal ground to stand on. That's already been demonstrated. And you have no moral ground to stand on. So I don't know what grounds they're thinking that they're standing on right now. I'd love to have someone who maybe is more Republican explain to me what they think the long-term political strategy is here. I, I do think that trying to bring illegal immigration to the fore is a smart political strategy, but using this incident right now, it seems destined for failure, I guess you could say. And with that, that's going to bring us to the end of our show here. I want to thank you guys for watching. Going to wrap it up pretty quickly here. Don't really have anything to add to the end of this show. So until next time, this has been the Comrade signing off for now. 
you guys take care.